0: Everybody to another episode of Small Council Radio. So if you haven't already seen the title, uh, we're going to be talking about the tactics board for this episode. Um, going to kind of get back into you know some normal topics. Uh, for this topic, we're going to kind of start off uh, you know kind of easy you know and work our way into more you know advanced uh, I would say tactics or tips. So the beginning of the show is going to kind of it's going to kind of seem like obvious stuff, but we're going to try to, you know, ease into it uh, for some of the, like the new players out there that might be listening. Um, and the reason I wanted to do that for this episode is, you know, the, the tactics board is something that not uh, is very unique to this game. Um, as far as I know, I'm sure there's maybe a, another game out there that has something maybe similar, but uh, I don't know of it. Um, But even if there is, uh, the tactics board provides, like, an extra level of strategy to this game, unlike, you know, almost any other out there. And, you know, with that said, I wanted to, you know, take a little time to kind of point out maybe what might be obvious for some of the players that have been playing for a while. But, uh, you know, because we've all been there. We've seen that new player show up, and... You know, they run like one NCU in a 40-point list, which it it could work, uh, and I have seen it work um, on a rare occasion, but uh, they don't fully understand the power of the Tactics Board. So that's why we're going to kind of ease into this episode, kind of talking about the very the fundamental basics of the Tactics Board. but with that said, uh, I want to thank uh, my co-host for being on. Uh, Brett, uh, thank you so much for joining us for this episode.
1: Hey, no problem. Uh, always happy to be here.
0: Yeah, of course. And uh, before we jump into like the main topic, I just wanted to give a shout-out to all the tournaments that happened this weekend, uh, the GT um the Grand Tournament, I think is what it was uh, labeled as, and uh, also I believe there was another uh, tournament in Spain. Uh, both had really good turnouts, uh, and I just want to cr- congratulate everyone who did well in those tournaments. So, um, all right, jumping right into the tactics board. Why is the tactics board important? Um, it it adds a level of play, you know, that is almost equivalent to it being on, you know, on the field. Uh, a lot of people, you know, we see it as an extension of the game, and it it packs what's going on on the board, uh, on the battlefield, we'll say. Uh, so to not confuse the terminology, I'll, I'll refer to on the tabletop as the battlefield and the board being the tactics board. Um, So we all know that the real way to win most of the time is objectives or killing things. Well, though you can't have an objective or usually kill something with an NCU on the board uh, directly, you know, you have to rely on what's going on in the battlefield. But Tactics board helps you further those strategies it furthers those you know what you want to get done on the field uh and I think you know a lot of people you know early on just want to spend more points into the battle, and that's understandable i mean I think that's just kind of you know normal uh for anyone that's coming from pretty much any other game out there. you just why would you want to spend it? all these extra points on something that you just see as, like, a little buff. Um, But there's a lot more strategy uh, behind the tactics board than just simply, you know, a buff here or there. Um, Purchasing more command points uh, with certain games. So it, uh, you know, sometimes in some games you have to spend... You know more of your army points for certain things that might not necessarily impact the battle uh like directly by purchasing units, and that's similar to it in this way um, so Brett, uh what would you say is you know something that's very fundamental about you know the tactics board that a lot of newer players might miss?
1: Um, so I think the biggest um, the biggest point of contention that will come from NCU's uh, we saw this a lot more in 1.6 when there were three point NCU's and when NCU commanders were free. Um, the fact of the matter comes down to as much as we try to mitigate this factor as much as we try to you know, see it changed by bringing elite units or something like this. At the end of the day, we are playing an alternate activation game where a person gets some serious tempo advantages when they out-activate their opponent. Now, when it's like an eight to seven activation situation, depending on what's in the list, the person who has seven activations, you can definitely play your way out of that. You can overcome that disadvantage. But when you start getting into like nine to seven you know, 8 to 6, 10 to 7, things like this, it starts to become pretty problematic. And at the end of the day, NCUs generally range from 4 to 6 points in 2021. That's the range that they are. I mean, currently it's 4 to 6. You don't have any that cost under 4 currently unless you technically say Gilly is free. We've seen her spoiled in the Night's Heroes box, but she's just one activation once per game. But that said... They're still the cheapest way to get you an activation. So one thing for for people to kind of keep in mind if you're new in the game is that an NCU is going to give you an activation, which is going to help you, you know, build up the the tempo plays. Now, what you're seeing in 2021. For the most part, I will say, at uh, at least competitively speaking, if you go dig through lists from tournaments and you start to look at what people are running to these tournaments, you're seeing a lot of uh, 5-3 and 4-3 to be the very, very, very common types of builds. What I mean by that is you've got five or four units on the field and they're backed up by three NCUs. Now, something that for me is gaining some traction, at least, and I know Bob Omer from... Uh, Gamers Haven is doing it, and you guys might be doing it as well, Dave, but uh, some 6-2 builds and even some 5-2 builds situationally. Now, Craig had huge success at uh, Nationals in the qualifier tournament playing with five Dothraki units and two NCUs, so what a person getting into the game will have to do is kind of, as they're building their list, you have to think about the synergies, you have to think about what you're putting on the field, but Ultimately, at the end of the day, the Tactics Board is a very powerful tool. Um, You've got free attacks from the Tactics Board. For some factions and some builds, the Wealth Zone is your only source of healing and replenishing your troops. And you've got the Tactics Zone, which will give you additional cards and place condition tokens. For some armies, they're essentially relying on that zone to place condition tokens. They may not have something like War Cry or um, other such abilities in their army that can place those tokens for them, so they need the tactics zone for that. And then the free maneuver can be really important if you're playing against an army that has some mobility and you're running either all infantry or primarily infantry. It's also a really good zone for a free retreat for like a cavalry unit or something When you've got multiple units engaged with an enemy, you can back that cavalry unit out and then get that devastating charge a second time. So um, the tactics board is very important, so you're not going to want to overlook it. I don't recommend running one NCU. I've seen it. Um, I think Jesse Jesse Lynn is running it in an ELO event, and he did pick up a win with neutrals with one NCU, and I believe I've seen some Free Folk players running like seven combat activations, eight combat activations with one NCU. Um, for me, it's probably, I think you're giving up a little bit too much on the tactics board because you're basically giving your opponent, you know, his choice of the zones that he wants. You know, you're probably going to be taking the melee zone uh, most of the time when you can, and that allows your opponent the flexibility to go, Take the maneuver whenever he can, whenever he wants to late in the game, and you can find yourself in a, in a, a bad spot with that. But I think you need to build your lists, uh, keeping in mind, you know, what zones your army needs, uh, what zone replacement cards you have, meaning cards like assault orders or we do not sew, um, things like this that, that replace that zone on the tactics board with a different effect. If you've got a lot of those, replacement effects or you need multiple zones, you should give some consideration to three NCUs, but at the very least, unless you're playing Free Folk, if you like playing with two NCUs, I definitely recommend Peter Baelish as one of your two NCUs because Peter Baelish can really mitigate some of these problems that you run into when you're only running two NCUs and you're playing into a lot of people who run three.
0: Yeah, and I think uh it really will come down to, you know, personal playstyle and faction. Um been seeing a lot of success uh re- you know recently with 2NCUs uh whereas in 1.6 it was almost universally seen to be, you know, 3NCUs no more no less in a lot of cases. Uh and you know, 3NCUs just did so well against Two NCU lists and 1.6, but now with the change to the way NCU's are priced and no more NCU commanders, uh, I think uh, it's about as close in power uh, level as it's probably going to get. You know, between two and three NCU lists. Um, but yeah, it'll come down to preference, and uh, I think one one NCU can be possible, but you're really putting yourself, like you were saying, Brett, at a disadvantage uh, on the tactics board because you just, you give your opponent so much freedom to take whatever spots they want because uh, you think you only have one NCU. Well, a lot of the times, your first action you're going to want to take is on the board. Uh, and as soon as you do that, especially if you go first and you only have one NCU, and your opponent, let's say, even has three to your one, they now have four spots that they can choose from in any which order that suits them at any time that suits them. And another thing that NCUs are great at doing is prolonging uh, the actions that have to be taken on the board. Uh, If you only have one NCU and you go first that round, you use him right away, your opponent can now spend the next three activations using their NCUs while you have to then activate your units on the board. And a lot of times uh, that can be really because your opponent can outweigh the actions uh, in which you're doing on the board. You know, you could have like a bunch of one-on-one scenarios uh, and your opponent's just waiting for you to move your unit first or have to activate them so that they can then charge you without you being able to re- retaliate that round. Um, so, and that was a lot of the appeal, uh, not only being a four point, you know, activation or three point activation and 1.6, but, uh, you know, a lot of the appeal was the ability to, uh, prolong needing to, uh, you know, show your hand or your strategy on the tabletop. Uh, and, you know, one NCU just puts you, I guess, you know, in a pickle. You know, it it puts you in a rough spot that, you know, you force your hand because you obviously want to take that spot, you know, let's say it be the combat zone for free action or free uh, attack uh, right away. And so your opponent doesn't get it. Uh, But now, again, your opponent has access to all of these free abilities. And more often than not, you're, on, you're going from two NCUs down to one, unless you're like Free Folk or maybe Greyjoy. I mean, a lot of a lot of factions have four-point units or solos, but then they not. Going from two NCUs down to one usually just means you're getting some attachments. Uh, not very often is it going to be a straight-up NCU for a unit, and even if so, again, that unit might have to activate before ever really doing anything. And then, you know, if it is a four-point unit, they could just then get charged and uh, die. And as soon as they die, that's an activation that's gone for the game, assuming there, you know, is no way to bring back units for that mission. Whereas an NCU, if I'm not mistaken, there's no way to kill an NCU except for doing it yourself if you're Night's Watch and you want to kill your own half-hand. Because I believe they... Took away the jackin ability to kill an NCU. Now you kill uh, an attachment on the on the field. So, um, so yeah, it's NCU's are are definitely a vital part of this uh, of this game, and I would say two or three is the sweet spot, you know, and again, it'll really depend on your play style and your faction. If you're really apprehensive about three NCUs, um, just, you know, especially if you're new to the game, just start playing, you know, with your two NCUs, just try to tell yourself two, two NCUs is normal, normal amount. And, you know, I would say eventually venture off into three NCUs just to give yourself some, um, experience with it it may end up not being for you um i know for me it really is 50 50 between all the factions i play every faction and i play pretty much any and every commander and every unit i can uh and i would say between all the lists i make on um the war council app i would say it's pretty much 50 50 um some if you were to focus in on like one faction it might be dramatically different for example let's say uh gray i would say probably 80 percent of my lists are three ncus but you go to free folk and i would say like 90 percent of my lists are two ncus it just uh, some factions really want certain zones like you were saying brett you know there's I guess, another reason why, you know, taking one NCU could also be, uh, you know, a downside. You know, some there's so many tactics cards that require so many spots to be controlled and replacement effects, uh, controlling spots, replacement effects, and just, you know, um, the ability to get certain effects off. Uh, let's say, like, motivated by coin on um Braun.
1: yeah it's uh i think there's motivated by coin and then loyalty through coin where motivated by coin is the um free attack and then loyalty through coin is uh some of the buffs that you're getting by controlling the uh Wealth zone. That's loyalty to coin. You see that from the hedge knights and Braun. That's the plus one to defense and plus one to morale test. Motivated by coin allows them to make the free attack. Um, allows them to make the free attack using the wealth zone. So, yeah, there's definitely some ways that you can build build armies that, that work around the tactics board. Um, I have this Lannister list that I've been kind of tinkering around with that has some hedge knights in with the high sparrow and it's built around, you know, controlling the wealth zone and obviously doing everything I can to control the wealth and the combat zone to really make those hedge knights pop. Generally, your opponents don't let that happen. Those are two of the most popular zones on the tactics board. But that said, um, when you're running Peter Baelish, um, you can get into some situations where you make your opponent make some pretty tough choices. Um, That said, Alistair Florent paired with um, Peter Baelish in an army that's running Hedge Knights or even Brawn or something like that, Uh, you can do some pretty nasty stuff with Peter Baelish and Alistair Florent because Alistair Florent has his three order tokens that bump the opponent off of a zone. So with Peter Baelish and Alistair, it's actually really, really easy for at least three rounds to control the Wealth Zone and the Combat Zone, and those Hedge Knights will really, really be an efficient machine at seven points, um, and then if you add something like the—I uh, always get them mixed up. I think it's the Glory Seeker that heals friendly units, right?
0: Uh, to, to it's Rally. I do I do rally, the very? <laughs> I do the very same thing. I, I get the two uh, um, Fortune and Glory Seeker mixed up still because I haven't uh, glory, played them enough.
1: Glory. Glory is rally cry. So if you've got like a glory seeker in your hedge knights and then you're controlling the wealth and the combat zone, they're going to be a support unit, they're going to be a defensive unit, and they're going to be an offensive powerhouse that hands out uh vulnerable tokens while they attack. They'll have sundering. Uh defensively, they'll be 3 plus defense, 6 plus morale, and their support piece because they're healing other units each time they attack. So it can be pretty nasty, but that's definitely not what we were going into, but kind of at the same time, <laughs> it goes into list building, you know? It, it depends on what you're building and what you hope to do with the list. Now, we've talked about, you know, some some people are finding success with two NCUs. That's, I don't believe that to be an inaccurate statement. I've, I've found not just myself, but some other people are um, Tinkering around with this concept of running two NCUs, and I think a lot of that stems from the fact that in 2021, I know that there are definitely nasty units and nasty combos that exist. You've got dragons that can double tap with Daenerys the Unburnt, uh, Dracaris in the Mother of Dragons build, you know, things like this. They're wiping out one unit around pretty reliably, but with if you remove some of those fringe cases, for the most part, this whole concepts that you had in the 1.6 version of the game, where you had like alpha striking Berserkers with Brandon and Hodor that were super capable of pretty much on command just deleting whole units because they had sudden charge that could make the enemy vulnerable. Then they could attack with northern ferocity and make them vulnerable again. If you put Catlin on them, you know, they're getting up to 13 hits on the charge from Brandon and Hodor and then they, they still get their activation, you know. That kind of stuff doesn't exist anymore. So some of the pressure that you can create on the battlefield is substantial right now. If you're running particularly, if you can hit that 6-2 and you can field six meaningful combat units, like maybe one unit of cav, whether it's flade knights of Castle rock, or um, uh, even the hedge knights, if you've got something like that, and then you've got some kind of defensive troops or you've got some, some heavy hitters that are hard to ignore, like Bolton Cutthroats, then I think you can create a ton of pressure on the field that makes it okay that you're running two NCUs. Situationally, 5-2 is pretty decent as well. Um, I've seen some pretty cool builds being done with 5-2, but if you can hit that sweet 6-2 spot and every unit has a role to play and everything is meaningful then i think you're i think you're starting to get into a spot where you can really do a lot with what you have on the field
0: yeah and you know a lot um about the ncus can also be it's not only uh you know what spots on the board your ncus can you can gain for yourself but also what you can take away from your opponent to the whole one one ncu i mean especially if your faction needs two spots let's say uh baratheons um or Greyjoys. now Greyjoys are a little more flexible because some uh, some of the spots if your opponent controls some you get uh, the effects as well or different effects but um You know, not only does, let's say, Baratheons need two different spots for a lot of their abilities, uh, but your opponent needs two spots, and sometimes those two spots could be different than yours. So now there's four different spots at play on the board. Now, obviously, you know, running four NCUs would be a little silly, but I have seen it done uh, (laughs) to very minimal success, uh, having, let's say, three even. No, or two opens up a lot of play to either take both spots you need, take both spots your opponent needs away from them, or just kind of do a one on uh, a one for you and one against them to you know try to split it up. Um, and you know taking those spots away from your opponent can really you know mess up their game plan kind of going back to like the fundamentals, you know, starting, you know, I I see this kind of mistake uh I call it a mistake. I mean, it's just not the best play, we'll say. Um and that's, you know, newer players, you know, just naturally, you know, when you first start the game, uh start playing the game and you you know, you start the game you're playing, you know, your first action is to like move a unit. Now, um technically, there's nothing wrong with that uh sometimes you don't really care what's uh available on the board, but I would say ninety nine point nine percent of the time you're going to want to make your first action be something on the tactics board. Now, I have had situations where I wanted to wait out my opponents if my opponent's going first that round, the first round of the game and uh, I have equal or more activations. Sometimes if I've drawn certain cards where I can somehow get a long ball charge if they march and I march and then I take like the free maneuver and then I have, you know, something that lets me, lets me get a free charge like assault orders. I've considered that. Uh, I've done it before with uh, Victorian, where uh, I had him in outflank with a Reaver captain. Uh, I moved all my units up because I just I had two more activations than my opponent, and I used my last two activations as my NCU's to bring on Victorian, and then get a free charge with him, because my opponent didn't take uh, the combat zone or the uh, the free attack. They took um, the Letter to get some cards and a token, and then I took the crown to crown zap you know my uh, Greyjoys who aren't very you know you know their morale kind of sucks. So I jump on with Victorian and I uh, get a free charge in the back, and then I attack because he comes on unactivated. Now again, that's kind of like the store, uh, cornerstone case uh where you know waiting to use your NCU's can pay off then again that um that little combo there is is not like some big secret uh a lot of times it's it's more so your opponent is just not really thinking you know because it's not like some big secret play you know the all that stuff is like common you know things that Victorian does, especially when you're deploying and you say, okay, this unit's off. I just want to throw that out there. Cause I know there are a couple, you know, players out there that probably, you know, do similar strategies and don't make their first activation be an NCU. But again, I'd say 99.9% of the time, you're going to want to activate that NCU because, uh, you're going to want to pick whatever is going to best suit you and, or, uh, Take away something that your opponent really wants. um for example, me personally, if I'm playing Night's Watch, I like to take the letter first round because their tactics cards are amazing. And the last thing I want is for them to not only be able to draw more from the letter, but also use Jor Mormon to uh, NCU and go get another one and filter out the deck. The last thing I want is for them to have, you know, uh, not that you can have 10 cards in your hand, but, you know what I'm saying, you, if, you're draw, if you're using them and drawing them, using them and drawing them, you could essentially have 10, just not all at the same time, uh, you know, and, um, you know, and then have all these cards that they're constantly stacking, you know, these attached cards to these units, and now they're super buff, buffed up. So, um, you know, you might want, or uh, if you're playing an objective mission, taking away that maneuver zone right away so they don't get a free maneuver on the first round, um, you know, of the game. So it's really dependent on faction, uh, your faction, their faction, mission, and so on. But more often than not, you're going to want to activate that NCU as your very first action to, uh, jump on the chance to choose whatever zone is going to make the biggest difference in the game. All right.
1: Sorry, I, Brett. I, I'm assuming I'm <laughs> assuming this, this was a, a spot where I want to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, a lot of it's situational. You know, yes, generally you're wanting to take that NCU and activate them to start the round because the general, depending on what you have going on on the board, right? The the concern for the most part is okay. If I go to the if I go to the. Um, field of battle and I activate a unit, let's say I go charge something, say I have a unit of cutthroats that are in position to charge and I want to get that vulnerable token out because it's really nice, um, the concern is that this, the combat zone's open for your opponent to then claim the combat zone and attack either your cutthroats who just charged them because it's very unlikely that they've one-shotted and or they can just attack one of your other units. This is one of those situations where, you know, it comes down to what you have in your list. So for the most part, I haven't been doing it as much in the 2021 version um, outside of Night's Watch, of course, because I do occasionally play Night's Watch, boo, hiss, boo, and I do like ranged units with Night's Watch. (laughs) Currently, Currently, my next favorite faction, though, is Lannister's. And while I know that Stormcrow archers are really, really good, and I do like them, I tend to lean more with Lannisters into, like, a unit of knights or flayed men, maybe a unit of hedge knights, but I really, really like warrior sons. And I'm getting back into liking Lannister guardsmen. So I'm running a primarily infantry list with no archers. So I'm not really incentivized to take combat zone unless... I'm already engaged. So, But the other thing with range, this can be the case where, uh, back to that unit of cutthroats, they're unlikely. It's actually impossible without the help from a card like Hear Me Roar for cutthroats to one shot a unit. They'd have to get critical blow from a card right off the hand. I'm thinking Andrew Essermont's card. Dario. Um, this is YOLO charge card. Uh, what is it? Don't let me. It's on the tip of my tongue. I just played Andrew Estermont today. I should know this.
0: Rush of aggression.
1: <laughs> if you play rush of aggression, you you get, you get critical blows on the cutthroats. Potentially, depending on how you roll, you know, you could score a couple two or three sixes, get nine or ten hits. They're vulnerable. You're vicious. You could pop them, uh, particularly if you play ours as the Fury on top of that and pick up Sundering. It's a really nasty charge. But outside of that, you have to expect they're going to live. So then you have to debate, like, well, how much damage am I reliably going to do for when they take the combat zone and attack me back? Is that worth it? You know, and then you you have to kind of plan those steps in advance. But uh, I do still like the idea of creating all of this board pressure because sometimes it's worth it, right? Sometimes it's worth it when, you know, you do something on the board and your opponent – does something, you do something on the field of battle, your opponent responds by going to the tactics board, then you can respond again by doing something on the field of battle. And if you're playing, like, if you're kind of not ignoring the tactics board, but you're weighing and you're deciding that the tactics board is less important, you can end up getting a lot of those charges. Um, When I played my last game, it was a Lannister versus Lannister match, I was running a 5-2, and he was running a 4-3. Well, I knew that no matter what happened he was going to get three zones on the board and i was going to get two i wasn't overly caring about which zones i got kind of towards the back end of it so as a result of that when i was marching my army up to kind of begin the um engagements i put him in a lot of really bad situations it was like well um i'm going to go first now i'm going to charge your flayed men with mine You're probably going to take the swords to hit my flademan back, but then on the other side of the field, that means that my warrior sons are charging into your uh, what unit was it? Um, It wasn't his brigands. It wasn't the halberdiers. It was another unit. I'm struggling to remember what else. Uh, I think it was red cloaks. Red cloaks with Sandor, that is what it was. So my warrior sons charged his red cloaks, and that wasn't you know that's not a situation that's ideal for him like yeah he got the melee attack off on my flayed men and that was a free attack but in that round because of the board pressure that i had created and the situations that i'd created i charged him his flayed men with mine so i got critical blows he didn't get critical blows when he attacked back and then on the other side of the battlefield my warrior sons charged into his red cloaks with sandor and because of war cry and the faith token giving me thundering i think i did eight or so wounds to sandor so just by kind of not caring as much about the tactics board i did a ton of damage to his two key units and even though he got the free attack in the end i think that i got the advantage out of that exchange because as i recall he claimed the wealth at that point to heal one of his units and then i started playing the board so i took the the, uh tactics zone and put and threw out a weakened token or maybe it was a panic token or something like this. But after that point, I felt like in that instance, in that battle, I felt better about having my five units because I created a two-on-one on his men and then it was a one-on-one everywhere else, and I kind of just had to play a survival battle until my flademen and my mountain that rides brought down his men and then it was kind of, you know, from there it was three combat units to my five, and his three NCUs didn't matter as much because once he lost the flayed men and I critically damaged his um, his red cloaks, it was hard for him to recover from that. And I, it's something similar when I, I, I played Andrew Esthermont today and it was a 6-2. And I create situations where I put a lot of pressure on him on the board because I, uh, I had Lightbringers that are a threat, but then I had them flanked by Dragonstone nobles and I was running... Melisandre, so I was able to wound those Dragonstone Nobles on my terms and then charge them in to whatever had charged my Lightbringers or whatever, and, and then they had those four automatic hits with Sundering, and it gets pretty nasty. And then I had Assault Orders as well, and I ended up popping one of his... Uh, he was running Knights nice Castlely Rock with Gregor, and that's an 11-point unit, and I ended up killing that unit with my Dragonstone Noble because I wounded the Dragonstone Noble on my terms, and I charged him, and then I played Assault Orders, and it was, you know, eight automatic hits with Thundering into the flank of Knights of Castle Rock, and they exploded. So there can be situations where you create that, so I guess that's the gist of what I'm going. At the end of the day, it's all what you do on the battlefield, and it's what you do with the pieces that you have. And I think sometimes the three NCU can be a little bit of a trapping. I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm not going to say that it's bad. I'm not going to say that three NCUs bad at all. I run three NCUs as well. But I think that it's, it, you can get into a little bit of a trapping and it can be a little bit of like a, a toxic train of thought if you feel like you absolutely have to run three NCUs all the time, because I don't think you do.
0: I agree. Uh, I think Simon has done an amazing job being able to go from 1.6 to 2021, uh, two to three NCU, uh, meta. I think, you know,
1: you, if you
0: want to run three NCUs now, you actually have to sacrifice on the board or on, on the battlefield. Whereas before you could easily get three NCUs for six points, seven points. Um, and, you know, now minimum for three NCUs is 12 points. You know, 12 points out of 40, that's a lot. Uh, and I should say 12-plus points. Um, you know, you really have to make it count on the field now. Uh, and it still works. It's Three NCU is still really good. And I would say... It it might be too early to tell. I still think that 3NCUs might have the slight advantage, but it's so minuscule that really, again, it comes down to player preference. Just because 3NCU might have a minuscule advantage does not mean that on an individual's, uh, like, their own personal play style and, like, the way they play – it doesn't mean that it will actually translate into their games. Uh, It just means like in general across all players, I think that three NCUs just has a minuscule, minuscule, uh, you know, now um, like you were saying, you've, you've run both, you know, two NCU, three NCU. Um, Like you're saying, if you're going to run three, you just have to be careful on the field because, you never know. Like like you're saying you, you have five to their four, um or even if it's five to five, a lot of times if you have five and three NCUs, you got a lot of weak units out there. Um you know, so uh, a a good player can capitalize on that, kill off a unit really quickly and then, you know, now you're on your back foot. That was like my biggest tactic in 1.6 because I played, um, Starks and I did two NCUs for combat units, but I had two wolves in there to, you know, kind of act like NCUs in a sense, you know, they're, uh, free activations or whatnot. And, uh, you know, my biggest strategy for my Stark list was, um, I'd run, a lot of you already know, but Berserker, it just three Berserkers and a Great Axe, and I'd run, you know, Blackfish, so I have set for charge. My opponent will charge into me. Uh, I get a set for charge. I then take the combat zone on the tactics board, then I swing, and before my opponent knew it, they had a unit that was dead. And now what was a 5-4, to four, uh, not counting the wolves in there, uh, it has now turned into a 4-4. Four to four. Uh, and now, you know, even though what might look to some people like, okay, now it's even, I guarantee you with the way the list was, you know, I had the advantage uh, in that case. And so it, it really comes down to being able to find that balance. And, again, I think this this goes back from the creation of the game. I think Simon has done an awesome job making the tactics board you know, so good. Like it has so much of an impact to the game that it's not just some additional piece that, you know, adds some benefits here and there. Like I would say calling it, that would be like an injustice to how powerful and how much the tactics board actually shapes the game. Now, I know a lot of uh I shouldn't say a lot. I know a handful of people that really don't care for the tactics board. I mean awesome without it, but I feel like it's incomplete without it. You know you're really not getting the full experience of what makes this game amazing in my opinion um now. This game is awesome. You know, you play it however you want. I know there's a lot of people that play the game, you know, just like individual models, no trays, and they've come up with a game system for that or they just use the models for another current game system. Uh and that's awesome too. But I think like the the overall, you know, A Song of Ice and Fire uh game itself, the tactics sport is just the way it has been designed has really shaped the game, um, and a lot of again, a lot of people coming from all these different games. You know, me myself, I'm coming from you know a little War Machine, uh, 40k, and uh, you know Age of Sigmar, and a bunch of other games. And you know, initially I was like, okay, one NCU. It didn't take me long to get to two NCU's, but for me, you know, I was a hard rule of never three NCU's unless uh, it's an you had an NCU commander back then, and the rule really was no more than eight points spent into NCU's. So I could get three if I took a commander and then took two four-pointers or two three-pointers or a mixture um, because I just, that was like my hard and fast rule of how I played just to my preference. But, you know, it, it took me a while to really get comfortable with running um, more than eight points, uh, you know, and it was it was a gradual change. You know, I went from eight points to nine points to 10 points to 11 to 12. Uh, you know, it was like point by point, you know, I gradually got myself to feel comfortable running three NCUs and spending all those points. So when, you know, a lot of the leaked files came out uh, for 2021 and I was playtesting that, uh, to kind of give get a feel of the idea behind what 2021 was going to look like, you know, I was running a ton of three NCU lists still, even with the change. And I knew that it was still, even after they started announcing that no more NCU commanders, no more three-point NCUs, um, I knew three NCUs was still going to be a thing. Um, so, you know, I guess just my advice to any of the new players out there, you know, don't be scared to throw a bunch of points uh, into your NCUs. Um, you know, think of them as an, ex- you know, because it's an extension of what you're uh, running on the field. You know, you, um, they're not just some, you know, tool that gives you a small buff. It's, I mean, it's so much more than that. There's so much more to it. Um You know, for example, a free attack, I mean, that's big, depending on what you have on the field to make use of that free attack. For example, um, running, like Brett said, Peter Baelish, for me, if I had to pick, like, number one NCU for versatility in the game, for me personally, it'd be Peter. Like, I I mean, he's, like, in... A third of every list in every faction other than obviously free folk uh just because of how versatile he is, and you know you run him with a list with a let's say a ranged unit that's really good. We'll even just go to the you know to the top end and say nice watch crossbowman you run if your opponent has no uh ranged unit, you take Peter. Block the wealth so they can't heal. Target the free attack. Shoot with your uh, crossbowman. Your opponent now has to have has to make the choice. Do they cover up the free attack if they have no like replacement effect or anything like that? Just so you don't shoot them again. I mean, that's almost like getting uh, the zone covering up the zone from your opponent, choosing the zone you want and forcing your opponent to not get a zone. I mean, that is huge. That is a big trade-off right there. And then, uh, or if they choose not to uh, cover up the free attack to prevent you, it's still a win-win. You now take the free attack again. You've now had two shots with whatever range unit you can think of, or even in combat, but I'm saying ranged unit because your opponent won't be able to activate the free attack from you. And now your unit still hasn't activated. Um, So, I mean, the power of the NCU is essentially, you know, adding all these free attacks that are equivalent to whatever the attack is coming from. You know, that attack could be coming from, you know, Gregor and Pyromancers. You know, it it could be coming from... uh, I don't know. What's another one? You know, the crossbowman, it could be coming from, you know, sworn brothers with Dario. I mean, it, it's huge. And, you know, not to mention, that's just, we're talking about the taxes board. We're not even really talking about, I mean, we're only mentioned a couple of the NCU's actual abilities. Um, you know, we could even throw Courtney Penrose in their NCU. uh, You know, he, his ability is so strong. I mean, he, he, gives you so much... He either gives you a ton of healing or prevents your opponent from taking any meaningful spot on the tactics board, at least in in that situation, Uh you know, because every spot um is useful in, you know, in most scenarios. But, you know, you can force your opponent to either, like, not activate altogether if there's a no other zone to be on or activate, take a zone to give you healing. So... I think there's a huge dynamic and strategy to the tactics board that a lot of people you know mostly newer people don't really see uh, it's It's like a game of chess, you know it's you know moves and counter moves, and knowing what the end result's going to be if you look so many steps ahead. Um, now, of course, uh, again. Games this awesome that you know it you can do like what Brett had said, and you know put so much pressure on the field that it really prevents your opponent from playing the tactic sport and turning the tactics board into this overall like you know piece of the game that dictates exactly how the game's going to go. you know you can really put your opponent in tough spots where they can't really afford to take a spot on the zone um before you do, if you move in such a way on the uh, actual field to, you know, put pressure on your opponent, almost like a check in chess, you know, You, you check them, and now they're like, well, you know, you don't necessarily have to do it like you would in chess, but, you know, if you put just the right pressure, I mean, it's, it ends up being, even though it's in favor of your opponent, it ends up still being the obvious choice that you have to make. So, um, I would say, you know, experiment with, uh, the different NCUs and the different things that you can kind of do. And, uh, as you know, as I've been kind of saying in the last handful of episodes, you know, always be looking as many turns ahead as possible and giving and not even just like one linear uh, outcome, you know, be like, okay, if I do this, my opponent could do that or that, and then branch off, you branch off in your decision-making from there. Okay. My opponent, if I do this, my opponent could do that or that. If they do this one, uh, you know, option number one, then I would do this. If they do option number two, I would do that. Or, you know, if they use, let's say, do option number three, I do this. But if I do this, then they're going to do that. Like, it, planning all that stuff out ahead of time, you know, in your head, all the time as you're playing, allows you to rarely ever be surprised. The only time you're probably going to be surprised is if your opponent does something really off the wall, which is why, like, YOLO charges... Uh, Tend to be in that category if it's like you know they need a, a six or even like a five sometimes with no reroll um, because you know a failed charge a lot of times can be the turning point in the game but uh, you know always thinking ahead between you know what what pieces uh, or what actions to be making and that includes the tactics board you know okay if I take the swords right now what damage output am i going to do if i'm only going to do one wound you know total after all hits you know let's say they're weakened so after all hits re-rolled and then armor saves and they take one and they have a decent morale test is taking the combat zone even worth it well actually it still might be if your opponent has uh, let's say pyromancers let's say you were about to attack guardsmen and you're like oh well that's probably not really worth it because i could hurt myself but they have pyromancers right there well you know you you might still want to take it uh and just you know hopefully you have another option other than that unit that's in with guardsmen um but you know it's it sounds complicated and i you know not gonna lie it can be um but you know thinking ahead as many turns as you possibly can will only benefit you um you know you could say that there is overthinking something um and you know that that could be true but i think you know that's how a lot of uh, great chess players, you know, do so well. They have so many different strategies memorized of different moves and different te- uh, different uh, you know move movement combinations. And based on what your opponent is going to do, you look like uh, so many moves ahead. It's ridiculous, and you know that kind of gives them their game plan and why a lot of chess players do so well. And a lot of just uh, gamers in general do so well in tabletop games or card games. Um, you know, granted, this uh, tabletop games and card games have all uh, a ton of randomness, uh, randomness injected into it, but you know that's just kind of the nature of the beast at that point. What yeah, you got like, for us, I Brett? Like
1: the, no, I like the, I Go like ahead. the point that you make about Penrose. Um, because he's not the only one. You um, you can build lists that, um, you know, you can mitigate. Uh, even if you're still running three NCUs, there are definitely some builds that can really punish the other player for running, uh, you know, for playing on the board, really. Um, Penrose is one example. His punishment isn't exactly a punishment in the form of dealing you damage, per se, but... Yeah, I mean, if your opponent has three NCUs and let's say you have two and one of those pen, one of those is Penrose, you can reliably, you know, you can either activate it when you know they're going to want to claim the Swords and then, and then if they do claim the Swords, then you're healing D3 plus two to your units. Uh, if you're running Rose Knights, that's going to end up doing damage to whatever they're engaged with. And then um, either that or they don't claim the Swords because they don't want that to happen and then that leaves the Swords open for you. Uh, you've got in, you've got commanders like Roose, uh, Whispered threats. He can do a panicked and vulnerable token on you if you claim a zone when you activate an NCU. And it might not seem much, might not seem like much, right? Um, like, oh well, I'm going to get panicked and vulnerable. That's okay. I'm not going to give up. You know, claiming a zone with this NCU. And I did it in my last game, and I deeply regretted it. <laughs> like, it was basically the difference in my guardsman with Sparrow living and dying that van that panicked and vulnerable token from that card i was like well it's fine i'm still going to claim this zone because you know i want to place a condition token and it was the it was the tactic zone of all zones and i claimed it anyway i got panicked and vulnerable and as a result his red cloaks uh attacked me in the flank and they ended up killing my guardsman because of those two tokens so it's pretty substantial uh you've got Tyrion who can uh He's got two cards, actually, that mess with the tactics board. Uh, You can force them to target a different unit, and they can effectively end up wasting their zone claim. You know, if they claim the swords wanting to make a ranged attack and they don't have a, a unit that's engaged in melee, you can roll that three plus, force them to target another unit. Even though they're not engaged, even though they can't attack anything, they can still be targeted for the combat zone, so you waste their activation, essentially. And then you've got the ability with Tyrion to take them off of a zone and put them on a different one. So you can free the combat zone up for yourself. Uh, Mance has Wildling Diplomacy, which still, even in its, I guess it's, what, it's D3 plus 1 wounds now instead of the old D3 plus 2. Still incredibly punishing. You don't want to take those wounds. Um, So I like the fact that... um, Evidently, they liked the idea of Mance, right? Because he was, you had Varus who could cancel zones in 1.6, but it was really only Mance that kind of punished you for taking a zone, right? Yeah. And so they've eliminated Varus because, you know, nobody really liked that negative play experience of just flat out being told no, but they've adopted some of these other kind of, hey, we're going to punish you in some kind of way or, or something's going to happen. They've included these new board interactions. You've got Varys NCU, who I think is a phenomenal NCU. Um, I know he's five points, and a lot of people kind of bulk at that because they're they're wanting to min-max. But if you've ever faced against Varus, if your opponent has Varus in his list, you probably understand the, the nightmare that it can be to play him. Um, you know, you would think that the – You know, I claim the zone. They're going to heal, too. Like, it's not that big of a deal, but it can end up being a huge deal. The three hits from the swords, the three-inch shift, that can end up, you know, if you've got something like Tyrion or Rob with tactical reposition, they can end up shifting six inches on your turn because they can tactical reposition, and then if you claim the swords, Varys can shift them another three. Uh, It's just really it adds a a whole nother layer to the game when you play against Varus because you have to keep in mind as long as they have Varus tokens left, you have to really consider what your punishment is going to be based on the zone you claim, you know. Uh, Can I afford to give them a shift if I take the maneuver? Do I want them to draw a tactics card? Honestly, that's probably the least punishing of all of them, you know, just to draw one card. You can normally live with that, but can I afford to take a panic test right now? Do I have a unit that's near death and it's got a panic token on it are they going to kill my unit on my turn because i took the crown you know and stuff like this and it can it can get pretty it can get pretty mind blowing trying to play against varus um it can be really frustrating and make you make some really really tough decisions but um i do like penrose as well um he's a very interesting one you could do a combination of Penrose and Varus, and if you mark the wealth zone and they really need to heal, you can end up getting, you know, D3 plus 2 healed from Penrose, and then Varus can heal 2 on top of that. That's, in this version of the game, that is a massive amount of healing.
0: Yeah, and, you know, even running, uh, I've had uh, Spencer run Penrose and Olena, and so Olena will target uh, one of your NCU's to not have any abilities, um, or when they take a zone, she does her effect, and then uh, Courtney will uh, pick certain certain zones for when the next one activates. Um, make, uh, usually, meaning that um, if the spots on the board are filled up. Um, If they choose not to claim a zone and they need a zone in order to, like, do their effect, let's say, like an influence, um, he almost is, like, turning off an NCU as well. So now for, you know, what is it? I think she's five points. So for nine points, you have essentially two NCUs that could almost be, like, turning off uh, – you know, NCU's abilities. And then, uh, the last one I want to touch on, you know, you know, every, you know, pretty much every Greyjoy's favorite NCU right now is, uh, Eric Ironmaker. If your opponent claims the wealth zone, uh, you get another pillage token on Eric who can then, when he activates and claims the zone, uh, place that token out. So there's definitely a lot of things you can do, you know, talking about like you know the episode we're talking about how strong the tactics board is so kind of wrapping up with you know all these different things you can do to mitigate the strength of the tactics board from your opponent and turn you know if your opponent has no tactics board manipulation um you know you are now at the uh at an advantage on the tactics board and then, depending on how many points you invested in the tactics board compared to your opponent, you know, you might even possibly have the advantage on the field as well. Um, and I think, when list building, you kind of have to try to find that, you know, happy medium. Um, now, I would say there's obviously some advantage to. Ignoring the tactics board and just going full tilt on the field and there's some advantage to just going so heavy Control on the tactics board their opponent can't really do anything on the tactics board Uh Everything has its merits again that that part's going to really come down to personal preference But I think you know for a lot of people finding that happy medium is going to be the the best results Um we can kind of close it out there, you know, wrap it up and, uh, just kind of give our final thoughts. Um, I'll, I'll start first on this one and just mention that, you know, again, for the new players out there, you know, uh, you know, for the more advanced players, this, a lot of this is not like some groundbreaking news. A lot of it, you've, you know, you encounter probably 90, of everything we talked about today for most of you, uh, just simply by playing the game and, you know, just learning it through the process of, you know, playing games. Um, but for the newer players, you know, just how, like I said, just get out there and, um, start running, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, things with NCUs that I would say is out of your comfort zone, whether that be simply two NCUs or three NCUs or, you know, running different types of combination of NCUs, you know, maybe less direct benefit, you know, beneficial effects like an influence that, you know, does, you know, give your, uh, let's say, uh, like Khaleesi, you know, given your unit uh, re-rolls and taking away condition token and maybe more so running something like bearish and sell Me, who, um, you know, can do a little bit more of a, you know, control aspect and help, help you, uh, really turn off some key abilities. So I would say just, uh, venture out of your comfort zone. Um, I have found a lot of things, uh, that I didn't really play before that I play now, um, simply by, you know, going out of my comfort zone. Like I said, I started off this game with a hard and fast rule of never any more than eight points into NCUs. And that was back when you could, you know, you could have so many cheap NCUs now in, in this in 2021, I, I have a list where I spent um, eleven points in NCU's just on two NCU's. I had a, a really, I have a really successful Lannister list, which uh, is the Mountain Commander, which has Tywin and Tyrion NCU's, just two NCU's, five combat units, but those two NCUs just so powerful and they make so much of an impact in the game that it's worth it. Uh, And I I also have other lists where I run 13 points into NCUs. Um, I can't say I've run more than 13 points yet, but still. um, I think, you know, you just really have to kind of venture out. And that goes – that goes for pretty much everything in this game. Um, you know, venture out into the units, you don't normally play commanders. You don't normally play. And I think you might be very surprised at whether or not you, you might find something that you're really successful with or something that you just genuinely um, love playing because you just like the way it plays, even if it isn't all that successful. Um, you know, so again, just, branch out and kind of, you know, discover something new. Uh, How about you, Brett? Uh, What what did you want to kind of wrap up with this
1: uh, topic on? Yeah, I mean, I think I'll basically just kind of echo what you're saying. Um, To be very fair, um, the majority of the lists that I run are three C U, CU, but I I do tend to often do – a pairing that's three and two. At least I was when I did Nights Watch. I haven't played Nights Watch a lot, but most of my Lannisters I run three NCU's. But that's because um, Lannisters have a lot of tech with their NCU's. But I'm I'm leaning more into a three NCU list and a two NCU list with Lannister. Um, I think ultimately, yeah, what you said. You've got to you've got to give it a try, you know. And I, I think, like you mentioned, three NCU is still really good there's definitely times where you're going to want three NCU, particularly if you're playing against something like Othol's NCU or Illyrio Mopatis or something like this where they've got these really, really, really good zone re- replacement effects and you don't really want them to be able to pop those off anytime they want because you've only got three, two NCUs. But with that said, um, I think a lot of people are still kind of stuck in the mentality that three NCU is the only way and they completely refused to give two NCUs a try. Well, I lost in my mirror match today against a two-NCU Lannister list with my three-NCU Lannister list, and it was, um, you know, I had 5-3, and he had four, and he had 5-2, so he was able to match my board pressure because my list is, you know, it's a 5-3, but it, it kind of hinges on the fact that most – people are running like a a four, three, you know, um, but his five, two, he was able to, you know, he got me with my same mentality. He put a ton of board pressure and, uh, his five combat units on the board were better than my five combat units. And he just panicked me to death today. Um, he had double red cloaks. Uh, he had Vardo Hote, who's a really important, um, piece, you know, because, uh, the game depends so much on commanders, so his Vargo H- Hote was able to kill my Sparrow, which was really important because he collapsed my morale bubble, which is what I kind of built that list around. So you've just got to give it a try, you know. And I think, I think, you know, going into the match, I thought that it would be a win that I would get, but it just didn't work out that way. And uh, he he surprised me with how effective he made those five combat units, you know, work for him. So I think people need to kind of get out of that mentality and they've just got to, you just got to give it a try.
0: I agree. And again, I'll reiterate it that I think Simon has done an awesome job, you know, balancing the power level between 2NCU and 3NCU. Uh, I mean, again, everything is a little too early to like, put it all in stone but i would say that you know it's about as perfect as you know it's going to get and uh for the power level between the two um it'll just really come down to you know future ncus uh you know pricing them appropriately so that way you know five and six point ncus aren't over overshadowed by the four point ncus um so we'll, we'll kind of see, uh, where that, uh, you know, takes us. All right. With that said, uh, we'll wrap it up here, you know, do some shout outs. I wanted to just uh, start out by shouting out, um, a song of ice and fire stats.com. They helped, I believe they helped run the GT today, uh, as well as uh, a couple other groups. Um, you know, want to shout out uh, Duncan Rhodes who has a Kickstarter going on right now for a too thin uh, or two uh, two coat paint uh, set uh, really awesome looking paint you know I would I think there's like five days left so definitely go check that out if you're interested. It looks to be super awesome quality they're in the the dropper. Form uh, of the container um and i believe there's 60 different colors there's like six washes 56 colors you know between like shadows and highlights and like base coat uh so yeah definitely go check those out um again the kickstarter is about five days left Uh, i think it ends this month um you know, so at least give it a look over, you know, maybe it might not be for you, uh, but at least go check it out. I'm, I'm not actually super into like the dropper, um, paints, but I think I'm going to be buying myself a set just to kind of dive into it, you know, not to like toot my own horn. I'm, pretty decent painter. I'm not some, like, master-level painter, but, uh, you know, I paint pretty good, and I kind of want to expand on my techniques, and I think, you know, getting a wet palette, getting these dropper uh, bottles, and just, like, really diving headfirst into learning a bunch of new techniques, because right now my uh, painting style, I have a very unique painting style uh, with very limited techniques to it, and I think it also um the way I paint is kind of slow. Uh you know, when I like I was watching uh you know, you can even watch it on the Kickstarter, Duncan um paints up one of his minis that you get uh with the paint, uh with the paint sets. Uh in and he paints it in all the the paint in the Kickstarter and he was you know, he was going so like fast, like you know, it wasn't like super speed or anything. Like it wasn't like fast forward by a lot or anything. It just, for me, like I get, I would say, you know, like I said, you know, I paint pretty good, but I paint kind of at a slow pace because of my, it's really because of my technique and not because of like just me, you know, going physically super slow. So again, you know, go check it out maybe it's for you maybe not but uh, I definitely wanted to give it a shout out uh oh no, and uh I, again I, I like shouting them shouting them out cuz they do awesome content uh Sunday slaughter um awesome podcasts awesome uh battle reports also uh, a shout out to um lords of the north uh we had him on for the last uh show um you know just want to shout out that content creator uh doing some awesome work. Uh he has a YouTube channel, Lords of the North. Uh they have some uh battle reports as well as some uh I think he calls it uh, gather on the fire. Um it's like a tactics talk uh show so definitely go check those out. How about you, Brett? you have any uh any shout outs?
1: Well you shouted out my usual my usual stuff <laughs> Um Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to you put know, you on the spot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Kind of as you mentioned, uh, song of ice and fire. Staff so put on that London GT. So if you're curious to see how the factions stacked up, and you can you can actually go back and review every single match. So you can take a look at who the winner had to face, um, and then you can even go so far as to look to see you know Mickey made it to the top table and he got beaten by Night's Watch, but, you know, he took Free Folk that far and did that well with Free Folk. which was really impressive. So, um, you know, even though he finished six, he was contending for first place. So it's always interesting to me to follow the matches to see, you know, because it isn't always fair to look at the standings and say, well, you know, so-and-so did this well and so-and-so did this well. Um, the same thing can be said for the U.S. Masters. You know, Cyrus did way better than his placing indicates um, because he was right there neck and neck with me in that game where we were playing for the event. Um, He just ended up being on the losing side and it cost him a couple of spots in the tournament, but he was right there in contention for the winning the whole event. So uh, that's why it's really cool to be able to go back and look at stats. You can check out everybody's lists. You can check out which list they chose for every match, who they played, what faction they faced you know, and it gives you some insight into that list building. Like, um, you know, you can challenge yourself like, well, okay. You know, you look at the match and say, well, what list would I have run? And then you can go verify what list they run. And it kind of gives you some idea and, you know, and you can see the tech pieces that they've added to that list. And then maybe it kind of makes sense. So, uh, you should definitely go check those guys out because it was, uh, a very, uh, successful and, uh, event filled with a lot of really good players. Duncan Rhodes actually played himself there as well. So, um, you know, he had said he was having a really good time, and uh, that's good to hear. So um sounds like it was super fun. And then I think basically simultaneously there was an event in Spain. I think they had 32 players, and Free Folk ended up winning that one. So go check those events out. Um, if you haven't signed up, go ahead and sign up, register yourself, uh, log all of your games um don't let your ego get in the way you know like if you feel like you don't want to log your loss it's okay um ultimately it it kind of helps paint a picture of what's in the community but most of all it's a resource to help people with list building you know um and it's the idea is to grow the community and help everybody get better so that's why it's such a cool tool but um other than that, I know George from 3Sales uh, Gaming is back to creating some Song of Ice and Fire content. George obviously being a good friend of mine. Um, so you definitely want to check his stuff out. He has a super duper special, like, top secret project that he's working on. It's been revealed to his, uh, Patreons, but you might want to, uh, do some digging into that and see what kind of cool stuff George is working with. And then, as always, my, my dude Chase on the table gaming, he's been he's kind of like the OG Song of Ice and Fire content creator, you know. He was like the first one uh, he invited me on with him after Gen Con 2019 and he's just always pumped out content for this game. He's got a close relationship with Michael and Fabio, so you can get some exclusive interviews watching his stuff and he does some really cool like quick hitter videos and stuff like that and he's just an all-around nice community guy, so you definitely want to go check him out. And then there's tons of other creators, you know, the uh, Lords of the North, uh, Roll 'em If You Got 'em. There's literally too many for me to mention. But as, <laughs> as I, as I always say, you know, you want to support the content creators. You want to support the guys that are doing the work with their own free time to give you guys some, some help navigating this game and even just give you alternative, uh, or alternate, uh, ways to look at the game. So always check those guys out.
0: Yeah, and whether that be, you know, support them in any way you can. You know, not everyone can support, you know, their favorite content creators by, you know, funding them, you know, like Patreon or whatnot. Even just giving, you know, their videos a like, uh, their pages a like, sharing out their content. Uh, You know, I've mentioned this so many times that, you know, you'd be surprised how many people that are in this community that have no idea that, even chase exists, you know, on the table gaming, like Brett was saying, like the original content creator or, you know, uh, one of them, at least easily the original that is still around. Um, cause I know there was a couple others around that time that kind of, you know, made a couple of things and never really took off. But, you know, even, you know, there's a lot of people that don't even know on the table gaming exists. So just, you know, whenever you can just share out their content, uh, wherever you can, um, you know, that's appropriate. Obviously you don't want to go to like, like a single mom's, uh, Facebook group and start spamming (laughs) small counts of radio that'll, uh, get you a lot of friends real quick, but, um, you know, just wherever is appropriate and, you know, it'll, it'll go a long way in helping, uh, your favorite content creators. But, you know, with that said, uh, You know, we're going to wrap it up here and finish it out. I want to thank all of you guys for listening in. We appreciate every single one of you guys. You know, we do this for you. Um, You know, we we just want to be able to provide, you know, a lot of, you know, more of a long form uh, podcast like content to you guys, you know, because I know we have tons of people who you know, they listen while they're working, they listen while they're, you know, driving, or, you know, one of the, one of the more common ones is, you know, while they're painting, because I know that's what I do. I'm, you know, as I said, I I can be kind of a slow painter, even though I crank it out a lot. That doesn't mean I paint fast. It just means I have a lot of time to paint. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's always nice to have a ton of things to listen to. So, um, you know, I appreciate every single one of you guys, you know, that, that tune in for these long episodes. Um, next episode, I'm uh, not quite sure yet. I'm still out and about doing the crazy stuff down in Louisiana, but uh, we will keep you guys posted. Till then, this is a Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed.